I think it's obvious that the love is the animating force because let's face it. I mean, we can, we can understand that when you are loved, your cells, every cell in your body does something different. When you are afraid or when you're criticized or attacked, every cell in your body does something different. Anger and, and fear are destructive to the physical health, to the emotional health, to mental health. Love is exactly the opposite. It grows, it changes the body physically, emotionally, mentally. We are designed to be loved and to love. The biology is proof of it, but Mm. we're a reflection of love. Everything about us reflects love uh, in terms of what is is life-supportive versus what's life-destructive. It's all there. It was just maybe it's too too close for us to see sometimes, but we 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 need it to survive, and we absolutely need it to recover. Welcome back, everybody, to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. This is Pat McCauley, as always. If it is your first time tuning in, uh, thank you for checking it out. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, I hope everybody is continuing to stay safe and healthy out there. Uh, This is another, I've been doing like a lot of health healing episodes, not a ton of entrepreneur stuff, um, but I think it's important to do during this time. And everybody, uh, I hope, is at home uh, trying to better themselves. So I think like the... The health uh, episodes are super valuable, and that's we got an unbelievable one coming this week. Uh, the guest this week is Tom Monty. Uh, Tom is a world-renowned author and teacher of healing and personal transformation, and he's written 35 books in his career, uh, which is crazy, um, on, on topics ranging from um, healing, medicine, complementary healing modalities, uh, personal transformation and and all kinds of other things. So this guy has really spent his entire career and life studying healing. Um, and in the episode, we talk about his journey and how he got into um, studying healing. Uh, but the majority of, of the episode is uh, going through his new book. Uh, it's called Unexpected Recoveries. Seven Steps to Healing Body, Mind, and Soul When Serious Illness Strikes. And what's cool is this is really a compilation of everything he's learned um, over the past 30, 40 years um, of studying people reco- recovering and people healing. Um, so there's just, the, the book itself is just loaded with incredible information um, in this episode um, is like an hour and 15 minutes of, of a seminar on healing. I mean, it's incredible. So, um, it, the book covers everything and, and the episode covers everything, uh, from diet, uh, community, the power of love, the microbiome, the importance of faith, epigenetics, heart rate variability, which was new to me and super interesting, uh, the placebo effect, the power of purpose, um, and, and much more. So this is an important one, especially during a time when, um, you know, we're obviously facing a a health crisis, um, and a lot of people struggling, uh, mentally and physically. Um, and we, we end the episode, uh, with Tom's thoughts on the current pandemic, um, and talking about his current project, 
uh, through his foundation, the Monty Foundation for Creating a Healthier World. Um, yeah, so I hope you enjoy it. Definitely share this one with people that need it. Um, Tom is just a wealth of information. Um, again, his entire life's work compiled uh, into this latest book. Um, and he's just doing so much great stuff uh, to heal the world. And I just, um, I really enjoyed this one and I encourage you to follow Tom. Uh, I'll leave all his links uh, to his websites and, and social media and whatnot in the notes. Uh, so please do share, uh, stay safe, stay, stay healthy. Um, and I will see you next week without further ado, the incredible Tom Monty. I think this, uh, pan pan whole pandemic is really, it's, it's making, uh, prevention, uh, a lot more uh, aware to many people and realizing, you know, wow, this isn't a thing for when I'm 65 and I, you know, heart disease finally expresses itself. This is something right now that if I'm on the track for some of those uh, diseases and not doing the right thing, you know, I can, I can be a goner in weeks. And, and so I, it's making prevention, I think, real for a lot of people. It is. You're so right. And it, 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 it must be, we must understand that the standard American way of eating is is no longer appropriate for our times. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely cool. Well, we'll uh, we'll jump in here. So, um, so I have Tom Monty on right now, and uh, to give the listeners a little uh, context, we connected through a mutual friend um, of about a month ago or so. Uh, he spoke super highly of you and. Um, saw some similar similarities with what you do and what I do, and uh, just was telling me all about your books and your projects, and um, I just found it fascinating. And you've so to to give people a quick highlight. I mean, you've written thirty five books on healing, um, predominantly on healing. Um, you've you've I think there was a, a a Woodstock book in there that became a movie. <laughs> yeah, <angry. laughs> I mean, I a, book, a movie on my, my book about Woodstock. And um, yeah, I mean, and then most recently, the uh, book you sent me, which is called Unexpected Recoveries, uh, Seven Steps to Healing Body, Mind and Soul When Serious Illness Strikes. And I would love to dive into that. And I would love to spend the hour or so really giving people information that they can uh, take away and, and, you know, hopefully apply to their lives. Um, but before that, uh, if, if you would in, um, a, uh, relatively, uh, <laughs> succinct fashion, I know it's, uh, it's hard to do because you've just done so much over the years. Uh, but for people that aren't familiar with you and your work, if you could just maybe give a little background on how you got into this and sort of your path to, uh, doing what you're doing now. Yes. Um, well, Thank you, first, Pat, for having me on uh, your show. Greatly appreciated. Um, in the late 1970s, I started, I read a book um, by George Osawa, the macrobiotic philosopher, and it was about, it was called All, You Are All Sampaku, which is a book about um, how to use diet to reverse serious illnesses and restore health. I also started writing about the science of diet and health, beginning with a man called Nathan Pritikin, 
who opened the Longevity Center uh, in Santa Monica, California. I wrote his biography. Nathan Pritikin was the first uh, scientist to actually create a healing center based on the science of using diet and exercise to treat major illnesses, including heart disease, diabetes, hypertension. And he opened his center in 1978, and he took in people who were severely ill, many of whom came in wheelchairs and uh, were also blind from diabetes and so forth. And he reversed all their, reversed their illnesses inside of a month. He had a 28 day program. People came in wheelchairs, some on stretchers, that's a proven fact, and they left walking and oftentimes running. Uh, in most cases, they were running. Uh, they were very seriously ill. He reversed the illnesses in a month uh, using uh, a plant-based diet and a gentle exercise program. Loma Linda, Loma Linda University did a study examining how many patients he dealt with in, in, within before he actually even died. His, he, he reversed the illnesses of 60,000 people. He saved 60,000 lives in his, his center. So I wrote a biography of Nathan Pritikin. And uh, then I also wrote a book about um, a man, uh, head of a hospital, Methodist hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who had cancer that it was prostate cancer. It spread throughout his body and um, he was given up for dead. It was in his uh, skull, sternum, left sixth rib, his prostate, his, his pelvis, uh, various places in his spine. And he adopted a macrobiotic diet, which is basically a plant-based diet, uh, vegan diet. And he, in, in 14 months, he was well. No one could believe it. I wrote a piece for Saturday Evening Post. Uh, it was the most, um, it drew the most letters in the history of the Saturday Evening Post, uh, which was a, a, a magazine that was very well-established, goes back a long, long way, over 100 years old. And, um, and then I wrote a best-selling book about him. I wrote two books about him. And then I kept on writing about health and healing. Eventually, I started teaching uh, the methods that I was learning and also creating my own methods. And I started uh, lecturing and, and then doing workshops uh, on, on health and healing and also expanded beyond diet because I saw that people who get well do a wide variety of things. They don't just eat the food. They have to have other components to change their way of thinking. And when I wrote a book, uh, wrote, I wrote many books about restoring health. And I had anecdotes, literally hundreds of anecdotes of people who had major illness with, in many cases, were told by the medical doctors that they had little or no chance of surviving. In some cases, they were so extreme, go home and put your affairs in order and it's over. Uh, you know, get ready to die, you have three months. And, I, and then they recovered using uh, diet and other methods to get well. I saw that there were seven common characteristics among people who had major illness, life-threatening illness, in many cases were quote unquote terminal, according to their medical doctors, and in fact, reversed those illnesses. And I wrote a book about uh, those common characteristics, which is the book I sent to you, Unexpected Recoveries. That book, um, is a compilation of what I've learned in writing about people who have restored the health in the face of terrible illnesses, but also it's a blueprint, I think, for people who want to overcome various crises, crises of various types. So 
I think, you know, that encompasses a body, mind, spirit approach to illness. And it also makes it very practical because the book itself is based not only on the philosophy, but it has the science to, to back it up. The science is support, supporting every single idea that it's well-researched and it's all the references, all the scientific references are in the back of the book. So it, it's, it's grounded in the science, but it uh, uses what is essentially a traditional approach to eating uh, and plant-based diet and also living. Uh, that shows the power of traditional practices to restore health. And they include seven steps that, that are in the book. So that's a brief summary. And, and meantime, I've traveled all over the world teaching and, uh, and, and taught at some, I've lectured at various universities and, and so forth. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. And uh, Pritikin, um, as I was reading through the book, uh, you, you include some of his works in uh, stories throughout. And um, I stumbled upon him and his work um, through uh, Dr. Michael Greger, if you're familiar, who, who wrote the book, How Not to Die, if you're familiar. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And the, the opening passage in that book is about his grandmother going to uh, the Pritikin Center after multiple, you know, heart surgeries and given a death sentence and you know, he wheeled her in and, and a few weeks later, she's, she's walking five miles a day um, and, exactly. and goes on, goes on to live for 30 more years. And I actually had somebody on as well that had a similar situation um, back in late eighties, early nineties, went to Pritikin um, and, and same sort of thing. He actually was told he had to amputate his legs. Um, and he said, hell no, checked himself out of the hospital and, same sort of thing. He was walking down the Santa Monica Boulevard, you know, weeks later, and he's, he's, you know, shares his story now all over the world. And so I, uh, I, as I was reading that, I just love some of the uh, an- anecdotes and, and uh, information and science you give uh, through, through him. Um, but I would love to just dive into it. So this is pretty cool that you even said this is sort of like a summary um, on the healing side of all this years of, of experience and knowledge and um, discovering the science and teaching healing. So I would love to get into kind of some of the seven steps here. And, you know, these are obviously, you know, you're focused on recovery and healing, but these same steps uh, are, will also prevent, you know, so it's, it's all the same stuff, you know, to be, to be well. So I would love to just go, uh, you know, dive into a couple of steps. And I wrote down a few questions I had that I thought would be interesting. Um, but the first one is uh, get past the shock. Yes. So dive in however you'd like to describe okay. that. Well, um, whenever a crisis hits, uh, whether it's a, a healing crisis, a physical healing crisis, an emotional crisis of some kind, a business crisis, um, any place in life when there's crisis and there's crises throughout life, various types and various severity, we are shocked. And especially when it comes completely out of the blue as a diagnosis of serious illness oftentimes does. And what I have learned is that shock is actually a way for the body and the mind to actually step back from 
the news or the, 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 the sudden awareness that life is either threatened or your livelihood is threatened or your way of life is threatened. But in this case, it's most office in this book is your, your life is threatened. And shock sets in and allows us to sort of dull down or dumb down or become dim in the consciousness. Our minds quiet automatically and we become a bit dim. We go into a state of shock. And what's happening in the background in the unconscious, I believe, is that we are being reorganized and prepared for what the, journey, the healing journey is about to become. But before we can launch into that healing journey, we must allow the shock to do its work and we must change our approach to ourselves. We must establish a, a compassionate relationship with ourselves. And in order for us to do that, we must come to realize that in a state of crisis, what is very, very common is for people to blame themselves. I brought this on. In fact, people who get sick very often when they, when they encounter a healing diet, they think, I've been killing myself my whole life. And there's all these judgments that set in, self-criticisms, um, which are very damaging to the healing process. So there must be a compassionate, established a compassionate relationship with self. We must be gentle with ourselves. I must understand that we tried to do our best, or we, there was nothing else really we could do at the time, but now we can begin to do something different. Without that compassionate relationship with oneself, we become more and more crippled by self-criticism, self-blame, blaming others, and, and it becomes a very toxic environment, not just for us internally, but that begins, becomes projected onto uh, spouse and children and friends and family, and we just become, we spiral into this real state of darkness, which of course is potentially lethal. One of the things I discovered in writing the book was that people who get well at this stage, once the shock begins to dim, they start to, for those who do get well, they establish a compassionate relationship with themselves by making connection with an archetype that lives in all of us, which is the divine mother or the, or the mother archetype, the nurse archetype. You know, the nurses, as we're, we're learning a lot now with the COVID, uh, 19 uh, episodes, the nurses are the backbone of the healing uh, of, the, of, of mainstream medicine, but inside of us is a kind of mothering, both men and women, a gentle uh, awareness that we can bring to the illness, bring to our suffering, and allow that gentle energy to sort of hold us without blame and give attention to whatever it is we're suffering. A good example uh, is Mother Teresa, and I cite other examples in the book. Mother Teresa, you know, would, would bring people into her uh, convent and, and also the hospital there, and she would, she would basically bathe them, uh, you know, put clean clothes on, give them a clean bed and some food, and, and allow them to die with dignity. And some of the quotes in the book are of those people who, were, who, who gave just such gratitude, but also restored such dignity to their lives by, you know, having care of the type that Mother Teresa gave to people. And so we must establish that kind of uh, attitude toward ourselves in the beginning. Blame is absolutely 
not only inappropriate, it can be lethal, it's, it's toxic, and it's no longer appropriate. So we, 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 the first step is an evolutionary leap beyond blame into a loving and compassionate relationship with self, a gentle, compassionate relationship with self. So we, 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 that's where it begins. And there's a lot of science to show that when you start to treat yourself better in a more gentle way, what happens is your immune system begins to respond very, very positively. Just, just one 20 minute period of gentle, loving care for yourself can last up to two days in terms of a, an immune response that is dramatically improved. Um, so self-care and also receiving care from others um, without any blame, without any judgments, can have a dramatic effect on the immune system in terms of improving our response to the illness. And that's where it all begins. I think it begins with a place of love and compassion. And that's when the change, we now have right mind, so to speak. We can be in alignment with healing. And so that's where things begin. After the shock leaves us, we start to regain clarity again. And, we, and we're in right relationship with our minds and our, our focus and our, our, our intention to get well, we're in the right relationship with all that and we have compassion for ourselves, then the journey begins and we're in the right place to begin this, that journey. Mm. So that's step one. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's absolutely just beautifully said. So then um, step two is take your power back. And when I read that, I my first thought was... Uh, a line by Deepak Chopra, uh, believe the diagnosis, not the prognosis. And I think you uh, called it diagnosis, uh, not destiny. Uh, that exactly. was my first thought when I heard it. Um, but yeah, I would love, would love for you to dive into what you mean there. Yes. Well, first of all, it's very, very important to understand that when a doctor gives a diagnosis, especially one that says you're not likely to live uh, for very long or your, your chances of survival are very small. That is a kind of a curse. Uh, and people take that to heart and it, it, it is of itself extremely immune depressing. Um, so we must get over that. And I have some wonderful anecdotes in terms of how people got over that and how doctors have helped people get over that. Doctors have performed all kinds of rituals to make people think that they, you know, they have a better chance of recovery than what they had been previously told. Um, Larry Dossie in, in his book, um, A Space Time in Medicine, did a beautiful uh, ritual in which he, 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 a patient had been told that he was going to die uh, by a shaman. And Larry Dossie became a shaman himself to tell that patient, no, I've just, I've just cured you of that curse. Guy <laughs> got well. He was chipper and everything. Walked out of the hospital. He was all well. So we must deal with the diagnosis. And what, what's happening with diagnosis is people are getting, a doctor is delivering a, a percentage uh, based on epidemiology, and it's not really talking about you and your chances and anything really about you. You, you have an immune system, and, and in addition to that, there are, there are healing uh, activities in your body transcending immune system that together, your healing capacities far exceed what can be diagnosed or what can be determined by someone else as, as life has taught us over and over and over again. So, so the second step is getting past the diagnosis by taking responsibility 
for your own healing. And that means adopting a second archetype, coming in contact with the warrior in you. The warrior in you, every single human being has the warrior archetype in them. And the warrior in you has the capacity to have one relationship and only one relationship in life, and that is with truth. And in, in, in the warrior's relationship with truth, we find out for ourselves what rings true for us. And what is happening in the background in the psyche is that we are developing a deeper relationship with our own capacity to determine, to determine what is true and what is not true for us. People who give themselves over to medicine, who give themselves over to, to someone else in any capacity are making a big mistake because there's aspects of the healing process that only you can engage, only you can marshal the forces that you have available to you fully. You have to be the one who calls those forces forth. And you have to align yourself with a deeper knowing, a deeper consciousness that we can get to a little bit later. But that deeper consciousness that lives in all of us, that, that deeper awareness, that deeper knowing, it goes by many names, mindfulness, Holy Spirit, Tao, it has many, many uh, names that we, we, we commonly refer to, Spirit of God and Elijah in the, in the Old Testament. It's all there to say that what's in us is some deeper power that transcends uh, our human experience. And that gives us, start, that's, we start to have a connection with that. And the warrior in us has connection with that. And what I've seen is that people who utilize Western medicine and complementary medicine tend to be the final arbiter in terms of what's good for them. In other words, if they use Western medicine for say, for example, cancer, they'll use chemotherapy until they decide it's no longer working for them. This, it was, it was functional to this point, I'm gonna stop. And, and then they stop and then they do something else. It could have been, in, very, in many cases, it was very, very helpful. Uh, in some cases, it was not helpful at all and it was just destroying them and they stopped very early in the process. The people who get well take command of the healing process. They determine for themselves what is right, what is helping them on the basis of their experience. And I can't tell you how important that is. I cannot overstate that when a person starts to say, I'm going to listen to an inner voice an inner connection with myself, our, our healing journey starts to take on meaning that transcends just the illness. We start to get connected with something that's going to be there long after we pass out of this world. And so taking responsibility for one's healing process, we start to step into a different realm and we start to see the journey as a spiritual one, a physical one, an emotional one, a mental one. And all our, it's, we start to become more whole in the process. And of course, health is the basis when we think about health, we think of wholeness as the basis for health. And this is a step toward wholeness. And so people start to become deeply aware. That is not to say that they don't listen to their doctor. They do. They listen. They listen to other counselors if they have uh, complementary healers. But in the end, they make their own decisions on the basis of what they think is right. I believe that if you make a decision on your own, no matter what you decide, what has seen, what, what has been borne out in my experience working with people, and of course in my own life, has been that, that whatever you decide, that, that orthodox medical approach, that complementary medicine, the diet, whatever it is you do, it has more power. 
you're, you invest belief in it. I remember there was a wonderful Native American healer called Rolling Thunder, and he wrote a book in the 70s called Rolling Thunder. A book was written about him. And he lifted up a glass of water and he said, I can turn this water into medicine if I just get people to believe it's medicine. And of course, then we go into the placebo effect, which I get in later into the book. But in any case, whatever a person really sees as healthy and healing, that, be, that develops a power unto itself. And there's lots of science to demonstrate that, as I, I show in the book. So taking responsibility, restoring your power, and connecting with your own inner, inner, inner life in such a way that you can use it to determine what is true for you or what is best for you becomes the second step. And in doing that, we become more powerful. That is, a taking responsibility leads to greater power. And then we, we, we're ready for a, a very big change. And that is the third step. Beautiful. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, I, I won't stop you. We'll, we'll go right into the third step, yeah, which, okay. is, <laughs> which is, step is a healing diet. Yes, a healing diet. That is absolutely a must. And I go through the science of the healing diet. Um, and it's, it's fascinating because, you know, we have a lot of what seems like controversy over what the best diet is. And I, I you know, for, of course, the, the new science on micro, the mi microbiome clear, has cleared up a lot of that controversy because clearly a plant-based diet is the most effective diet for healing that there is. And um, what I wrote about, the science is abundant um, to demonstrate that when one adopts a healing diet, so many factors change that are the underlying supports or the underlying transformational uh, factors that lead to health or illness. And when, when you adopt a plant-based diet, three things happen right away, very early in the process. The first is all your inflammation goes down and all the major illnesses are determined by inflammatory processes. I mean, heart disease, common cancers, prostate, breast, colon cancers, all the cancers are, most of the cancers are inflammatory illnesses, diabetes, hypertension, asthma, all the autoimmune diseases, they're all inflammatory illnesses, they're all related to the immune system. So when you drop inflammation, the whole body cools. And then when that happens, the immune system is no longer distracted and robbed of its energy to put out inflammatory fires and instead can focus on the illness. When we start poisoning ourselves every day with foods that are gonna create toxins that are building up in the system that the immune system has to deal with, we're gonna start that an inflammatory process that in essence is going to, yes, have to deal with the poisons that we've eaten but it's also going to have to, it's going to destroy healthy cells or cause mutation of the healthy cells. If we eat a lot of cholesterol, for example, from, we eat a lot of saturated fat and it leads to cholesterol or, tri, or fats that, or processed foods that raise triglycerides, which are a percentage of triglycerides becomes LDL cholesterol. So saturated fat and processed foods and high triglycerides lead to LDL cholesterol. All those little globules of cholesterol have to be consumed by the immune system. But that, is, that cholesterol, in fact, poisons 
the, the immune cells called macrophages. It actually kills the immune cells. So that the result is an even more, a greater uh, immune response, which creates an, a high inflammatory condition throughout the body. And basically it's a war. It's a war against the poisons we are ingesting by the immune system uh, attacking them. And in the process of that war, there are many healthy tissues that become deformed, they die, or they, be, or they mutate and become cancerous. And so the process of ingesting all these poisons leads to an inflammatory response that actually sets the immune system against us. And there are many weapons that the immune system has to destroy bacteria, viruses, uh, fungi of all types um, that are pathogenic to us. And those you know, weapons are targeting not just the illness, but they're gonna miss, they're gonna hit healthy cells, they're gonna hit healthy organs, they're gonna turn healthy organs into scar tissue, they're gonna do damage. So, so dropping the inflammatory processes and cooling the body and letting the immune system focus on the illness is a first big step that a plant-based diet does. The next thing it does is it lowers insulin levels. And insulin is what's called a mitogen. It, yes, when you eat sugar or processed foods, your insulin levels go up when you are under high stress as we are, many of us are today, under normal conditions, but in the shutdown under very severe conditions for everyone, stress elevates insulin levels. And the reason is this, because stress in the evolutionary process had very, a very clear and narrow definition. You were threatened by some um, animal or some threat to your life in some other form and you had to either fight or flight um, or fight or flee. Or, and in the modern life we added to freeze because many people in the space of stress freeze. But in any case, it changes the biochemistry and it, among the changes are that it, of course it elevates uh, various catecholamine uh, hormones, but it's also, it, 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 it raises insulin. And the more insulin we have, the more we actually serve, if it's cancer, we're gonna promote the, the cancer because it's gonna target the cancer. It's gonna say, grow, grow, grow. Because insulin is, a, is an order. It's a, it, it gives order, it gives an order to cells and, and it's a mitogen that tells cells to grow and uh, go through mitosis, split apart, multiply, multiply. And, it's going to, and that's what cancer needs. So it's gonna lower insulin levels on a, on a plant-based diet, we're gonna lower insulin levels and we're gonna lower weight. And fat cells, many people don't think of fat cells as just sort of like very inactive tissue that's sort of filled with, you know, whatever couch cushion. But in fact, fat cells are highly active cells and they're factories for inflammatory compounds. And they produce all kinds of substances that are poisonous to the body, including interleukin-6 and tumor necrosis factor, and other substances that are poisonous. So the, the more overweight we are, the more we're going to produce uh, poisons to the body that are highly inflammatory. Those three things are gonna change dramatically. Then a fourth element is gonna be your blood is gonna become alkaline. Plants alkalize your blood and the blood wants to be alkaline and your immune system wants your blood to be alkaline. We're 7.35 on the pH scale. The pH scale runs from zero to 14. Seven is balanced. We are 7.35 to 7.45. We're slightly alkaline because the, the blood is a remnant of the sea, of the ocean, and we still have that in our blood, and we still have that 
high alkal uh, alkalinity and plant foods alkalize. How and why? Because they provide two things, minerals and oxygen. And by providing those two things, we alkalize the blood and we come, it becomes a very powerful uh, environment for supporting the immune system and the other healing factors that we have in ourselves, our tissues. So, yeah. and, and then what we, and then by doing that, and then it also detoxifies cells and does a, does a lot of other things downstream that changes the immune system. And also, it also boosts the immune system. It makes natural killer cells more active and more numerous. It makes macrophages more aggressive. It makes everything in your immune system stronger, plant-based diet. This is why it's so relevant to what we face today with the COVID-19 uh, problem. But in any case, what we've got is a much stronger immune system. Strength of the immune system goes up, all the toxins go down, and now the fight, the chances of re recovering from an illness are dramatically improved. And so you, and you can never buy that in a pill or any potion. There's no medicine that can do for you what a healing diet can do. Mm. I want to just say one small other piece because it's very important. Plant-based diet actually strengthens your microbiome and your microbiome causes you to have it lowers depression or it will eliminate your de depression when it's healthy. It will eliminate anxiety. It will also make your brain function more clear, more, more stronger. Everything will get better in your whole central nervous system, but it also is a dramatic boost to your immune system. The microbiome is the bacterial and uh, microbe environment in your gut. It actually extends from your mouth to your rectum, but also it's in, it's in the sex organs. It's in uh, other parts of your body. It's on your skin. The microbiome is a living organism of 100 trillion bacteria and other microbes that combine as a living intelligence to tell your body how to function. And that microbiome is actually giving commands to all your systems to tell it how to function well, how to function healthy, how to function in a way that is symbiotic with you to bring out the best in you. And when the microbiome is transformed, for the better and is healed, everything in your body is going to run properly. Eight, 70 to 80% of your immune system is in your gut. Your microbiome is sending cytokines to your immune system to make it stronger, healthier, and more vigorous against whatever the problem might be. So when we eat, and the microbiome depends on two things, it depends on a multitude of things, but two primary things. First, it needs plant foods. It needs plant foods abundantly. And it needs fermented foods. And so sauerkraut, miso, kimchi, tamari, pickles, fermented pickles, all the full range of, of fermented foods informs and, and, and strengthens the microbiome. It's, it's a remarkable organism within our gut that we're just learning about. And the plant-based diet strengthens and multiplies the strength of the, of the microbiome. So it's, it's a, it transforms everything. One last thing about the microbiome, what scientists are finding out is that children who have ADHD or adults who have ADHD, um, they have gut problems. And that when we transform the gut and we heal the gut, ADHD and learning disabilities are changed, are changed for the better. So the, the, third, the third step is we must change our food and we must adopt a plant-based plant diet. That's beautiful. And, and I would 
summarize the way I like to summarize all of that is really we're just getting out of our body's way and we're letting our body do what it already knows how to do better than any thing or substance in the world. And it's when we eat to aid our body's ability in doing that instead of hinder it. And I love, and I've given this example on the podcast multiple times, but the idea of, and I first heard this from Dr. Michael Greger, the analogy of, of walking into, um, you know, the living room, uh, table and, and bruising your shin. Um, and if you did that three, four or five times a day, right. Simulating, you know, four, three to five meals a day and right. you continuously hit your shin on the table, the, the bruise is never going to heal itself. And we live in right. this chronic state of, um, inflammation because of the, as you said, poison that we're putting in our body at every meal. And we're not getting out of the way and allowing our body to deal with everything else because we're just giving it all this work. Um, yes. So that's how I like to kind of summarize it uh, in, in yes. a short, short period. The other thing you did mention that I, I, before we leave diet that you did mention um, in the book is the idea of um, um, changing your gene expression. And that's something... Yes. Um, I've learned a lot about epigenetics and the fact that, you know, your genes aren't your destiny and with diet and with lifestyle, you can literally, we know now can you can turn on and off the expression of genes. Yes. And I, I go into that in depth, uh, in the, in the book, because, um, there is uh, a lot of research now to demonstrate that, uh, a diet, a plant-based diet can even change the expression of the BRCA1 and 2 genes, the, the breast cancer genes that, you know, when women have this, 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 this gene, uh, these genes, it, it actually uh, almost guarantees a breast cancer. What scientists at the University of Montreal have discovered, however, was that women who eat 27 servings a week of fruits and vegetables or more, which is not that difficult to get, you can have vegetables and fruits. You can have vegetables at every meal and, and multiple servings, and you can get a lot more than 27. But for those who get at least 27 per week of fruits and vegetables, they, even for those women with the BRCA gene, they did not get breast cancer. The chances were 73% greater of not getting breast cancer so, than the women who didn't do that. So a diet plays a role in even the most, what we think of as a fait accompli. If you have those genes, you get, you're gonna get cancer. It doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. And so um, genes are being played. Uh, it, genes are the piano, but the player of the piano is the epigenome and they're shaping how the genes are, 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 are orchestrated. And I think you know, food is one of the most important ways of developing a healthy epigenome. Mm. Yeah, and I will say to to kind of wrap wrap diet up here, um, back to kind of the earlier steps you said, you know, when you do have something that, you know, is not plant-based or whole food or or very good for you, just coming back to that being gentle on yourself and not judging yourself. So when you do right. maybe eat something, um, you know, that, you perceive as not, not very good for you, just being okay with it and, and not yes. beating yourself up and being gentle with yourself, as you said. Um, so the, the next one, uh, I'll jump to the, the next one here is 
um, a supportive community. And before you jump in, um, again, something I've become very aware of, um, I'm big into the blue zones and, and all the science uh, from Dan Butner and what he's doing with the blue zones. And I love um, that piece. That's a piece I struggle with. You know, I, I kind of, you know, I'm not, I, I tend to keep to myself a lot and I, I have trouble, you know, you know, <laughs> going out and socializing. And I know that, you know, I should make sure I get to the family's house for Sunday dinner and, you know, I should be hugging people and I should be, you know, because it, it not only helps others, but it, it helps myself, yes, um, but far away. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's so important, Pat, what you're saying. And, and you're right. We can so easily isolate, especially if we're working hard or we're, we've got some big dream and we got to keep pushing it or whatever it is, and we can lose sight of our connection to one another. Um, but people who get well, um, up until step three, it's on you. In other words, in my view, there are things you have to do. You have to take, you have to get better at dealing with the shock and coming into compassion for yourself. You have to be able to establish a, a level of, of inner connection so that you can determine what's right for you and what's not. And you have to do, you have to eat the food. But at, at a certain point, it's no longer just about what you do. It's about what others can do for you. And we are social animals. We're 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 community-based animals, tribal in many respects, still. And um, and and that can be a positive aspect of tribalism, in addition to negative. But in any case, we could have. We need to have those people who support us, and who actually confront our thinking with a very different point of view. That in the case of what I recommend in the book is that people need a network of healers. We need care. And especially when there's a crisis, we need supporters. And there are healers that um, will put our hands on us or give us acupuncture or give us guidance with food, do all kinds of, do Reiki, do all kinds of um, body-mind work that can help us be restored to love. That's what is most important about step number four. You must understand that love is really the primary healer. And what I regard love as, I define love as the giving of energy that nourishes and supports life and all that is good and beautiful about life. That's what love does. It's a flow of energy that awakens the cells and brings them to a higher state of consciousness or frequency or function. And what, what people need to do is they say, well, I can't just go out and get a bunch of friends. No, you don't have to necessarily. You can start out with just establishing a, a network of supporters, of healers, that you see regularly. You can see healer A one week and heal, heal, healer B the next and healer C the next, but you have to start to get help. And I go through in the book the science of essentially the, the healing power of love, which is the, the most awesome power of, of what is in essence the maintenance of life and the elevation of life to a place worth living. We have to remember that your cells, my cells, everyone's are doing things right at this moment that are beyond our comprehension. It's just an awesome feat that what we're doing in our bodies, that is to say within the cells and then those cells are communicating to each other. There are tiny chemical messengers going to genes to turn genes on and turn genes off. 
there are three billion rungs on that twisted ladder we call a double helix in the DNA. There are three billion rungs where those genes are arrayed. That's a very tall building to a little tiny messenger protein. How it finds the right gene to turn on and to turn off is an utter miracle or just to regulate it, to down, uh, down regulate it or upregulate it. There are things that are happening within the body that are making constant adjustments to the, the temperature outside, the amount of light we take in, vitamin D, changes in protein levels and so forth, changes in hormones that we're constantly regulating. And all of this suggests a, an intelligence in the background that is running us that we don't take into consideration enough. There's something running this body that's an intelligence that's far beyond anything we can comprehend. And it's constantly adjusting for whatever the circumstances are to do what? To keep us alive, to help us, to support us, to help us function optimally, even as we get in our own way. And you said it before, very appropriately, we're always getting in the way. And what we do, and a plant-based diet helps us get out of the way. It's one of those ways to get out of the way. Well, when you encounter healers that are loving and supportive and non-judgmental and know what they're doing, but a very established and, and well-developed methods, and they're, intu and they're intuitive, they can basically connect with you on a very deep level. When you establish that kind of network, basically you're just getting love. You're just getting love in a very specific form of, of care based on the techniques and the skill levels of this particular person. And I find that that awakens the healing powers of anyone uh, to an incredible degree. And so when you are, when, you, when we look at the science of, 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 of love, um, what we find is that people who have a loving partner and they become seriously ill are far more likely to get well than those who don't or those who are alone. Um, and those who have serious heart disease or have gone through heart surgery, a loving partner to, to share that journey with elevates your chances of recovery dramatically, exponentially, because of the, the, the partner and, your, and, and the love you get from that partner and the love you give from that partner. A lot of times, illness is the consequence of great disappointment. And it blocks us from being able to connect with people in love. And Basically, what we have to do in the face of disappointment is understand that it isn't a judgment about you, but it is a, a necessity to look at the methods we have used in life to this point and say, my methods have to change. And loving guidance that supports you and, and makes a distinction between whatever it is that brought you to this place and be able to look at that without judgment and just say, well, what exactly do you think you have to change about whatever it is you're, you're, you're wanting to evolve from? And what do you want to evolve into? Uh, a loving a set of healers can help us do that. And then we, we shed the old skin, we molt, we, 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 we dissolve the old behaviors and we establish a new set of behaviors. And that's a process of evolution and that's facilitated by love. And so that makes for an entirely, uh, it changes the conditions, it creates the conditions for rebirth. And that's basically what we're looking for, a rebirth into a new and greater experience of who you are. 
who I am, all of us are going through this death and rebirthing process throughout life. And unless that happens, we, we really don't have the healing powers within us. We don't let those healing powers develop and get stronger. One of the great um, scientific discoveries is this understanding of heart rate variability. That is to say, when your heart rate is, uh, has slight variations between beats, and it's, it's not only minor beats, but also the distance between beats, heart rate variability actually increases your chance of recovery. And what, in order for that to happen, we must understand that we must grow and do things differently. People who get into ruts in their life and do th the same thing over and over again are decreasing their heart rate variability. They're, they're lowering heart rate variability. There's less and less variability between beats. The beats themselves are less, are too much the same. And that sameness is against what supports our health. And so when we, when we change, when we grow, when we can encounter new challenges and we confront those challenges and we realize this is a chance for me to grow and learn new things and develop and be restored, to experience the rebirth, the heart rate variability goes up and it's dramatically changed and the heart then has gives the commands, the orders throughout the body to give us new healing energy. It plays an enormous role in, in, in restoring us. So the heart and the, the physical heart, but also the, the consciousness that we regard as the heart consciousness becomes the basis, the pivotal basis for uh, restoration and in order to support that process there must be love and that's where we go that's what the fourth step is all about yeah that's awesome i had written down heart rate variability because i found that fascinating and i guess the way i would kind of summarize that step is you know you get people around you that are giving you love and they're there to support you but then you know you're also giving love, right? So it's kind of like a two-step thing. You're they're coming over, they're coming over to you know do whatever they do to help you out, and you know you're you're holding the door for them, and you're giving them a hug, and you're you know making them a great green smoothie. That's you know your fit, you know your best recipe, and like both the receiving and the giving of it, and. Um, I uh, recently read uh, Dean Ornish's new book um, and one of his kind of four principles of, of um, you know, prevention and healing is, is love more. And it's just really cool when you mentioned heart rate variability of all the science showing us that giving and receiving love and just being kind positively impacts your physical health, which is just really cool, I think. Yes. I think it's obvious that the love is the animating force mm. because let's face it. I mean, we can, we can understand that when you are loved, your cells, every cell in your body does something different. When you are afraid or when you're criticized or attacked, every cell in your body does something different. Anger and, and fear are destructive to the physical health, to the emotional health, to mental health. Love is exactly the opposite. It grows, it changes the body physically, emotionally, mentally. We are designed to be loved and to love. 
The biology is proof of it, but mm. we're a reflection of love. Everything about us reflects love uh, in terms of what is what is life supportive versus what's life destructive. So it's all there. It was just maybe it's too too close for us to see sometimes in terms of how essential it is. But we 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 need it to survive, mm. and we absolutely need it to recover. Mm. I love it. I love it. Um, well, we got, that was, that was beautiful. Um, I, I'm gonna, if, if we can, can we combine, uh, five and six here? So sure, five, five is, five is commit to healing. Six is believe in your ability to heal. Um, and both of these, I just was shaking my head. Yes. The whole time. Um, and you mentioned placebo effect earlier, and I'm sure that comes into the whole belief of healing here too. Um, but fire away. Yes. Um, <clears throat> well, let's face it. Um, every transformational process is a challenge and we're going to have setbacks. Like you said, you're, some days you're not going to eat well. Some days you're going to, you're going to be, you, you're just going to feel terrible and you're going to make mistakes. Commitment is that relationship with the target, with the goal that says, even when I get off track, I come back. I'm committed. It isn't a perfect path. A river it winds, and, and, and the healing process is a winding one. And so we make a commitment, and we, we, we have to get back on the rails. We have to come back on our process. We have to keep on committing, recommitting, and that's what's essential. I go into the, the importance of exercise because exercise strengthens the, the will and strengthens our commitment. And I demonstrate that with the science. It's, it's very, very powerful. With that, um, the, 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 this, the sixth step is develop faith. And I want to just say that uh, the healing process is all about, for me, the recognition that something of a larger order is always functioning in our lives. And there are many ways to demonstrate this, to prove it biologically, in terms of our lives. But I ask people to consider that, first of all, I go through the science of faith and, and the science is very, very clear. Prayer uh, dramatically improves outcomes. Those who pray, those who attend some kind of service, no matter what it is, or pray in general or meditate, those who, who have some kind of spiritual practice have dramatically better outcomes, dramatically better health. The science is there. I, I, I report this, some of the studies, but they're very, very significant. And there's a guy at Duke uh, who's, who's looked at Duke University, who's looked at the science in, in, in minutia, and the statistics that he shows that when you have a spiritual practice of some kind, your health is dramatically improved on every sort of uh, parameter. So prayer, spiritual practice, meditation, um, various forms of, of, of chanting, any sort of spiritual practice, can have a dramatic effect on your, your healing ability. Why? Because it extends us beyond the limits of our body. It extends us beyond the limits of form. It takes us into realms that are essentially energetic and, and spiritual in nature. And that is our true home. And we start to get a, a glimpse of that. We have to remember that we were never meant to be permanent on this earth everyone is going to pass out of this earth. And we're going to 
return to whatever one perceives to be uh, spiritual life or the, the great um, energetic spiritual realm of the universe. And what we want to be able to do is to be able to become come into peace with that. And what I what I what I show is what people when they make that deeper commitment to a spiritual practice or to some kind of spiritual life, what they come to experience is, is that life has meaning beyond the physical and that that meaning starts to be revealed to them. I, I wrote a long piece about um, people who were in hospice who were dying. And I, I talk a little bit about it in the book. And what they all say in the dying process is that life most essential virtues are, are the revealing aspects of life that reveal its purpose. We have to develop these virtues in order to understand the nature of life. And those virtues obviously are love and faith and kindness and compassion and a deeper wisdom to understand the laws of life or the basic virtues that are the foundation of life. And so what we want, what, what developing faith does is it extends us into those realms. And then what happens is a personal experience with a greater intelligence. And that greater intelligence is encountered on the healing journey as love and guidance and care and a comfort level that makes us able to transition through this life with far, far less fear, far, far greater sense of connection, courage, clarity. And it also awakens us to the reality that this life has a purpose. And the purpose, although we have an earthbound purpose, which is the seventh step, which, which, which I'll get to in a minute, but the purpose for us is to become more like the intelligence that we encounter that runs our lives and the intelligence that we encounter that guides us through this healing journey that is of es in its essence is love and care and uh, a deep commitment of a commitment too awesome to even give give it words for your happiness. That's what that intelligence is all about. It is there to give us the experience of what is possibly, what is the greatest joy that is possible, a, a relationship with it. And so in order to develop that relationship with the greater, with the larger, with the vertical, with God, but what we want to do is become more virtuous to adopt the virtues that are in essence, the foundation of what life is, truth, honesty, uh, compassion, um, courage, and, and deep faith that we are being guided. I just want to give you one example that anyone can, can experience this very, very easily. When we look back on our lives at any time, when, whether you're young or you're, you're older, you begin to see that you were led to specific experiences or to specific people that that meeting of that circumstance or the meeting with that person had to be orchestrated to the minutest detail for that encounter to take place. It would never have been arranged by you. First of all, you didn't even know that person was possible to exist. 
You didn't know that that person was out there. And the way that, that you came to meet that person was an orchestration of events and timing that was just way too delicate for your rational minds or faculties to organize and create. Every single important person you meet in your life came about in your life like that. And meantime, how many times has anybody, any one of us said to ourselves, oh my goodness, Tuesday's gonna be rough. That, that's gonna be a tough day. When we get to Tuesday, we glide through it, or we think that this problem or that problem is gonna do us in or be really bad, we somehow find a way. We are being helped constantly. We're gonna be helped through this current crisis. And what the crisis itself is, is, is the learning that a larger intelligence, a larger presence is actually guiding us through this. We must connect with that to find our way now more than ever. So what I'm saying to you is that we've got plenty of evidence day in and day out to demonstrate the presence of something extremely loving and supportive. The healing journey is an encounter with that in a very intimate way, in a way that all of us, that's available to all of us at any moment. And that we can, on the basis of just what we know we experience day in and day out, we can know that that's there to support us. And then we develop a a closer relationship with it through whatever spiritual practice you want. Mm, I love, I love it. I love it. And I love, uh, I love specifically that you mentioned prayer, just the terminology, because I think, you know, when we talk about spirituality and we talk about meditation and we talk about, you know, universe and, uh, all this mystical stuff, like a lot of people shut down and, Right. You know, a lot, a lot of people in in my family, for example, when I bring up that stuff, they roll their eyes. But at the same time, they're you know Catholic and they pray. And I'm like, well, you know, that's the same exact thing. And I think you know, to what you were alluding to, it, it does a couple things. One, it it allows people to believe in a how a, a higher power and and kind of surrender to that higher power and understand there's something far greater at work than themselves, but prayer in itself, right? You're believing that you can, you have the power to um, impact things. It almost gives you a a sense of control as well, which is so important in in the healing process um, from my understanding. So prayer, I just think is like an approachable uh, way of putting it when it's really kind of, all the same thing. It's, it's, it's believing in something more and something that is just way, way beyond yourself and, uh, you know, has all the answers that you don't have. Exactly. And, and when you start to encounter it, it's beyond belief. It's no longer believing. It's something else. It's faith. It's, a, mm. it's an experience you have that extends. You no longer just, it's no longer based on just believing. It's, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's an experience that you can't refute. Mm. Yeah, and it and it drives home the the idea that you know it's going to work out, you know, because it's all going to work out when you understand that. Yes. Um, so let's uh, let's jump if we could into the into the last one, and that one's purpose. Okay. Yes. Um, well, it's interesting because it's the fulfillment. I think once you have some degree of faith and you encounter something larger the larger wants you to do something in this earth to make a difference according to the virtues that it embodies. And you start to embody that, that, ent- that energy that we call spirit or source or God. Uh, but you, you are affected by Holy Spirit, Tao, uh, 
mindfulness, you're in, you're infected, infused with it, and then you start to act more like it. And then what it was, what does it want you to do? Find a way to give your love and give your love to make a difference in somebody else's life. Extend yourself beyond yourself to make a difference in somebody else's life. There's lots of research on this. It's wonderful. Uh, I've got it in the book. Um, but people live, people who have purpose, who, 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 who want to say, um, you know, I can't, you know, I have to do this or I have to do that. Uh, they live longer. They get well. The chances of them getting well miraculously extend far above uh, those who don't feel they have any purpose. Uh, the first person that started to write about this, the first scientist, uh, that, in my knowledge, was a guy named Carl Simonton, who was a, a, a medical doctor in Texas who ran a clinic for people who, were, who, had, who had cancer. He was, um, I believe he might have been at MD Anderson Hospital for a while. But in any case, Carl Simonton became a very well-known cancer specialist um, during the uh, 70s and 80s and 90s and there. He wrote a book, Getting Well. But in any case, um, what he learned was that people who do nothing, no complementary treatment, don't do anything at all, but just go to orthodox medicine, but they say, I can't die because I got to see my daughter's graduation or I got to see my son's, you know, uh, coming, you know, see him through a problem with his business or I got to help my, my wife get well. I've got, to, I've got some problem that they have to solve or something they have to see happen. Um, that gives them purpose, that extends their lives. And that has actually been borne out by the, by the research, the science. But one very interesting thing that I thought, I'm always just amused by this one. Many people wanted to see the millennium, the, two, the year 2000, right? Mm. And so what happened was, after the year 2000 occurred, in, early in the year 2000, death rates went up. And scientists could not understand what happened. There all these death, all these people were started dying in much more higher numbers than what were the norm. And what they discovered was that many, the death rates prior were down, that many people willed themselves to see the year 2000 come into existence, and then they died. They were, oh, got it, they got to see, I want to see them, I want to get past this milestone. And that was just, and, and that was scientifically documented, it's in my book, that was just what researchers decided was that that was a, a demonstration of the capacity of our will to extend our lives purely on the basis of just, I wanna live longer to see this. Carl Simonton found that with cancer patients, the same exact thing. If they had a purpose, they lived longer. But now since then, there's been a lot of research on this and people with purpose, people who volunteer, who teach kids, who help adults with, with business problems, or people who volunteer their time, they, they live longer and they also are healthier. So purpose no longer gives us longevity, but this also improves our health. And so that's the seventh step that I think is, it gives us meaning beyond just our own gratification. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I could, I could go all day on all seven of these. And um, so at the end of the book, you, uh, you kind of put it all together. Uh, there's a bunch of recipes um, yes. and things like that and some practical kind of uh, info. And uh, yeah, just, just really well done. I can't, can't recommend it enough. And I think that was an incredible summary we just did. And uh, 
definitely uh, recommend people people pick that up. Um, so to uh, close things out here, I do want to talk quickly about uh, the work you're doing now uh, with your foundation. Um, and then also, as we were, we, were, we were talking a little bit uh, before about um, the current um, pandemic situation, I, I would love to touch on that and some of the uh, reasons certain people are affected versus others aren't and, and things like that as well. Yes. Um, first of all, uh, what we've created is the Monty Foundation um, for creating a healthier world. And what we are doing is we, we have a project in South Africa uh, we're, we, there's an orphanage in South Africa composed of 230 children, ages 5 to 18. They get one meal a day. The meal is a, a nutritionally deficient meal. It's made of this pro highly processed corn and uh, occasionally some beans or some meat. What we've done is we've arranged for gardeners and farmers to provide three meals a day of planned foods, and we've also provided fermented foods at three meals a day. So we're going to change their microbiome. When I first went to South Africa and I, I, I landed at this orphanage, which my daughter has been helping for years, uh, and she wanted me to come and uh, for about, she's been doing it for like six years with the University of Massachusetts. She wanted me to come to see what they were doing. And when I first got there, I asked the, the director, what are the symptoms that the kids suffer from? And she said, gut problems and learning disabilities. And as soon as I heard that, I knew we could make a difference if we changed the microbiome because it transforms the gut. It will heal the gut and take them out of pain and, and distress, and it will heal their memories, their, their learning abilities will be improved. It will, it will take them out of learning disabilities. So we're going to do that. And Tufts University, uh, Tufts University School of the Friedman School of Nutrition and, and uh, Science and, and Policy is going to do a research uh, study on our project, and they're going to study the kids and to see what effects, uh, the, what changes they under, undergo in terms of their academic performance, overall emotional and physical health, the levels of depression and anxiety, how they are changed over the course of the year. And that's our current project. People can learn more about that by going to the Monte Foundation for Creating a Healthier World. It's a website and also there's a Facebook page by the same name, the Monte Foundation for Creating a Healthier World. And so, um, that's, that's what we're doing. I just want to say something small about the pandemic. The people who are most at risk and are suffering the most are people who have comorbidity factors. And we must understand that one of the things we have to learn is that th those comorbidities are, are, are the consequence of lifestyle and primarily diet. Although lifestyle and stress are playing an enormous role and they're not to be underestimated. But I, I, I see that African-Americans are suffering disproportionately with the illness, uh, COVID. And I, I just wanna say that this is true for everybody of all races, um, but black people are suffering particularly because they have tremendous stress in their lives. Um, you can't, live as a black person without having tremendous stress in your life every single day. And I think they're utilizing the, the food uh, very often to deal with that stress. And the food they're, they're being encouraged to eat is, is, comp is, is leading to all kinds of illnesses of all the types that we discussed, the inflammatory illnesses, especially hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, and of course the common cancers. There was a study done between, uh, by the University of Pittsburgh that took 
African-Americans in Pittsburgh and put and, and a group of uh, South Africans and they swapped diets. They took the South Africans adopted the American diet. The Americans, the American uh, blacks took uh, the, the South African diet and they and this and the University of Pittsburgh followed them. The professor O'Keefe, O-K-E-E-F-E, -E -E, University of Pittsburgh, and he followed them for two weeks. What he did was a baseline study of their microbiomes to begin with. And colon cancer is one of the illnesses that African-Americans have at much higher rates than, than whites. And they have a lot of other uh, illnesses too that are higher. So, so what happened was in this study, the South Africans that adopted the American diet, all their markers for illness went up. They have a healthy diet, uh, the traditional South Africans. The, South, the, the African Americans, all their markers for illness went down. And why? Because the scientists followed their microbiomes and tracked their, um, their, the changes that took place because of the increase in the plant foods that the South African diet is primarily a plant-based diet. And the American diet, of course, is a meat-based and processed food-based diet. And the African Americans eat that diet and, and exist under a lot of stress. And the South Africans eat a plant-based diet and they don't have the rates of illness nearly that the African-Americans have. When they swapped the diets, the South Africans became sick and the Americans became healthier. And that study, which is a University of Pittsburgh study, should tell us that even under the stress that African-Americans are experiencing, even under those stress levels, but with the food alone, they can make a dramatic impact on their markers for health. They become healthier in just two weeks they transform their microbiome. So I want to let people know about that. That, that study is meaningful to everybody, every American, right? But where, what is impacting the Italians uh, in the North, uh, many brown people, many people in, in poverty are suffering because in part, what their levels of food and, and their comorbidity factors that are leading to, that make them more vulnerable to COVID. And that's what we should be looking at. That's not being reported in the popular press. People are not being encouraged to change their diets to protect themselves against pandemics in the future. But we have to learn that now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I could not agree more. And yeah, I think there's certainly issues around access to healthier food, um, you know, access to food in many areas in the United States needs to change. But it does start with education, right? You yes. can't put a... You can't put a health food store in a place where nobody wants health food. So yes. the more people become aware and the more they expand uh, their education around it, the more they will demand it and the more businesses will have to start providing it, hopefully. Yes. And I just want to say in South Africa, which I travel to uh, frequently now, uh, obviously not with the, with the shutdown, but prior, and I will be going back to South Africa a lot. What South Africans are doing is they are, growing more and more gardens to provide healthy food. They're not getting it from stores. They're getting it from, from gardens, they're gardeners. And, and, and especially they're making organic garden, gardens. Uh, we're relying on those gardeners to provide food for the kids in, our, in the orphanage. So if you go to Tom Monte, uh, or, or I'm sorry, um, the Monte Foundation for Creating a Healthier World, you'll see the project. You'll see many of the gardens that we have going and if we started to make more gardens in 
uh, city areas, we would have far abundant food uh, available, or at least much more food available that wouldn't cost much. And we need to start doing that. I know that there are YouTube um, people, people on YouTube who are actually doing this in inner cities and, and giving instructions on how to do it. So it, it's already being done to some extent. Yeah, definitely. I think that's super important. I think people are questioning supply chains right now and, and all that. And and I think just from a just from a, a sustainable living standpoint and a personal health standpoint, even just the act of getting your hands in some dirt and you know the the process of of growing your own food and uh, kind of the the connection to it you know, it's just, I think, super important to everybody's health. And I think the more people, and I know it's unrealistic for a lot of people that live in cities, but the more you can buy from the local farmer, or if you have land to, to even if it's a couple tomatoes that you use on your dinner, I, I think it makes a, a big difference. And yes. um, I hope after all this, a lot of people head more that way, um, given how quickly we saw shelves emptying out and grocery stores becoming empty and just uh, recognizing that we need to connect with uh, the food we're consuming um, and, and question where it's coming from. Yes. Yes. Agree yeah. with all of that. Yeah. Well, beautiful. There are, many factors, uh, there are many factors affecting uh, all communities uh, that we have to be respectful for, but I want to bring up that this is still an important uh, step we could make. Mm. Definitely. Whatever extent we can make it. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I just, I, I want to, again, I could sit here all day and I could, I could go back and forth with you, with you. I'm, I'm just really enjoying it. Um, but, uh, I just want to give you a, a, a shout out to all you've done over the years, all you're doing. Um, it's, you know, talk about purpose, right? I mean, it's, it's beautiful what you're doing. And, and to me, you know, you're giving, people what I believe is, is the most powerful, um, thing you can give somebody. And that's, that's knowledge and, and the tools to apply that knowledge and, um, you know, making people more aware that, you know, you're, you're much more in control of your health than you think. Um, and, and that you may have been led to believe and that you're, you're powerful if you choose to, uh, if you choose to, embrace that power. And so I just, I, I love everything you're doing, your impact in lives and um, the new project sounds amazing. And um, I'm just super glad we connected and, and I appreciate you for what you're doing. Me too, Pat. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate being on your show. Awesome. And I will leave uh, links to all you're doing in the show notes and to the books. And um, uh, again, thank you. Is there, is there anything before we sign off that you would, you would like to leave listeners with? Um, just just that I think more discussions like this have to take place. Mm. We have to help each other and we have to share this knowledge. And uh, I just sort of, I'm just so grateful that you're doing this. Uh, you got a, a wide, uh, you know, uh, audience that you can reach and it's, it's wonderful. And that's going to grow because it's so essential. So thank you for doing it. And let's just keep, keep going. Awesome, Tom. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pat.